Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Nick Lippis, and welcome to the Built for Trust podcast, where you get to hear from all the folks who are building and shaping AI enterprise infrastructure. Now, let's get right into it with our guests. Hi, everyone. I am so excited for this podcast. Uh, it's a special one. A startup at the intersection of AI, cloud, and mobile will launch with this podcast. We start with an introduction of one of the co-founders, Alan Sequoia, and we'll also go over his background. Then we'll set the stage with the massive technical trends taking shape in the industry now, which will lead us to introduce you to Highway 9. Okay, with that said, let's go meet Alan. Alan, how are you? Great, Nick. Good to see you. It's so great to see you. Um, actually, really excited about this podcast. I've been really looking forward to it uh, all day. So, um, I think before we start, I want to make sure like everybody knows who you are. Like, you know, I've known you for a long time, but maybe not everybody else has. So, right. you know, why don't you talk a little bit about your journey? You know, uh, your career journey, which kind of leads you to to now Highway Nine. Well, at the risk of aging myself, started a long time ago in the early 80s on early concepts of the internet, the CSNet and NSFNet, and worked on the first enterprise networking stack at HP, where we created management, switching, routing, TCP IP stacks. That was my introduction to uh, networking that got involved with the creator of the first uh, LAN company, Ralph Ungerman. Ralph Ungerman, creator of Ungerman Bass, one of the first LAN companies. Um, uh, he and I founded a company called First Virtual, which was a voice video data networking company at the edge. Um, uh, very fortunate to have founded the company, taking it uh, public in the late 90s. And then after that, um, uh, got involved with uh, the backbone of the internet, internet routing, et cetera. A lot of the who's who of the internet were involved in that company. Then got involved uh, for the world's first virtual security company, Blue Lane, which got acquired by VMware. And that's mm. how I got involved with network and security virtualization, which led to the software-defined data center. We acquired Nisera. We created, uh, you know, um, uh, software-defined networks, which led to the um, private clouds. Then we started building hybrid clouds, connecting on-prem private clouds with the Amazons and Googles. And then the last stint at VMware um, was creating a 5G. Uh, cloud uh, platforms so that uh, uh, enterprise uh, could get to take advantage of the rollout of 5G across uh, the country uh, led by DISH networks. So that is my stint uh, leading up uh, to uh, my current company, if you will. Storied, um, you know, uh, career path all across the networking industry. I remember Ralph. I remember uh, UB, you know, um, as well. Uh, I remember actually you and Jay Sheree there, you know, um, you know, many, many years ago. So, um, you know, um, so if you dated yourself, I think I just helped to date myself, you know, with that, <laughs> right. you know, as right. well. But yes. uh, but the bottom line, it's it's I think it's fabulous to have been part of something so big um, and so powerful um, for kind of the world economy. 
uh, as to building kind of the building blocks, you know, of the internet. So um, I know I'm very proud of that. I'm, I'm kind of proud of your journey and your participation, you know, in that, you know, as well. So no, we've been, we've been fortunate to Nick, uh, uh, you, me, and so many folks that helped build the backbone of the internet and seen the multiple stages of the internet growth uh, leading to the current phase. So really, really exciting. And that's ultimately what gets me so excited to be part of the frontier of uh, connectivity, clouds, et cetera, you know? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and uh, and also that was really great. I remember like uh, talking with you when you were at VMware with with the Nasira acquisition when you were in the office of the CTO, um, you know, role, you know, as well. So, um, you know, great company to be working for. And I think what was really good about what the story that you just told is that every major transition um, you were kind of, you were part of. And I think, you know, I want us to kind of guide maybe our discussion about what's the transition happening now. Right. And um, so I pulled together some numbers. Um, and so let's let's chat about kind of like just try to get a status of kind of where we are, you know, in the marketplace. We know the number of laptops are far outpaced uh, desktop devices. Right. I think even like last year, there was around over 200 you know, million laptops sold, uh, which was about almost what almost three times or two point seven times greater than the number of desktops. Um, I think there's another way that some of the analysts look at this and they basically look at the number of people connected to the um, internet. And that's about 5 billion. There's about 8 billion people on the planet, right? Um, and about 67% of that number, that 5 billion are laptop users. So we're a very mobile computing uh, environment, right? And then when we add smartphones the smartphone numbers are friggin' staggering um you know here so it's like oh um almost 7 billion smartphones <laughs> you know it's, it's like like high 80 percent you know so so we're clearly and, and it's obvious like we all have a laptop and we all have a smartphone you know happening that we're kind of carrying around in traditional it so when when in the beginning part of your career and also my career, we were really connecting up, you know, computers, you know, together, uh, whether that's in data centers or whether that's in campuses, that's all changed. I want you to talk a little bit about that change, you know, and really how are we now addressing, you know, this more of a mobile uh, workforce? Correct. I, I, I think uh, if you looked at the paradigm in the 90s, the paradigm uh, in the office was the notion of an office. You had an office computer with an office phone. Everything was connected to a LAN. Then we mm. started little by little, um, um, uh, you know, untethering the desktop and having Wi-Fi, albeit very localized. Then over the next 20 years or so, we spent a lot of time taking a lot of the applications and servers and moving that to the cloud. So that happened, and it happened in a big way to the public clouds and uh, companies like VMware also enabled you to create a, a, a private cloud. So the entire uh, big focus there was removing the, the what no longer mattered is where things were run. They ran somewhere up in the cloud. People did not know, need to know where they were. Meanwhile, however, all the folks in the enterprise, the desktops, and the people using the desktop still had a very fixed notion sitting at a desktop and accessing that. 
Then um, smartphones, as you know, took off, mobile devices took off. And then of all things, COVID happened. And in those two years, everyone ultimately left the office. Everyone ultimately went to their homes, accessing the same resources. Because the cloud uh, world was already under motion, it made it relatively straightforward for folks from their home to access the cloud resources, whether they're apps, whether they're services. But then as we came back from COVID, um, a strange thing happened. And here I was talking to the CIO of MIT. He and I had gone through the um, start of the hybrid cloud era, the private clouds and network virtualization. We had been very successful in moving and migrating all the workloads to the cloud. We came back and he made this remarkable note. Uh, we, we started our company, the current company during COVID. And so these are very important issues to us. People came back to work but they had the same behavior that they had during COVID. So people effectively mm. came back to the classroom uh, with their laptop and involved in Zoom calls. Why? Because they loved the fact that they could record the uh, classroom. They could play it back at their speed. They could absorb the knowledge at their speed. So they came back and into the classroom with that same paradigm. And guess what? Things went haywire because the mm. networks were never designed to be uh, everyone uh, video streaming from their desktop. So at that stage, it became very clear to us a completely new paradigm is needed. An important observation made by some of the CIOs I talked to is 97% of their users were uh, using some kind of a mobile device. You know, mm -hmm. whether it's a smartphone, yeah. whether it's a laptop, they, they might use the desktop and things like that. But their primary mode of uh, communication with their resources was via the smartphone. At that point, it became very clear to us that we need to take a fundamentally new approach to connectivity and bringing together these mobile users and devices into the network. Yeah, that, well, that makes perfect sense, right? So, like, we spent like you know the the '90s and the early '90s wiring things up, you know, and then the later part of the 2010s, it was really all about kind of connecting everyone wirelessly, and you know the the numbers that we just talked about prove it, and also what you were just mentioning proved it as well. So, there's another component to this too that's coming online, right? There's roughly about I think about 30 billion or so network devices. Um, about 15 of that is kind of OT um, devices, yeah. you know, operational, um, you know, devices. Those are becoming cloudified. Uh, they are becoming connected uh, via mobile um, as well. Um, there is a large security component, you know, associated with that to integrate uh, that infrastructure into IT. So, so I think what we're really kind of getting at is that the number of network devices has not just you know, grown kind of geometrically on the mobile side of things over the last couple of years. But now we're adding a multiplier on that in terms of like OT devices, you know, as well. So the whole paradigm on how we used to do connectivity is over or is changing now towards mobile. We have Wi-Fi. We also have um, 5G that's coming, that's coming into the marketplace. I want to talk a little bit about 5G, you know, in one second. But I think mobile connectivity and also applications around into cloud and also public and private cloud are in there. So, um, so I think anything do you want to add, you know, to like, you know, that kind of dynamic that's also happening? Yes. Uh, if you think about enterprises, there were three buying centers in the past 
you had the IT organization classically um, in charge of things like uh, uh, compute and storage and apps and things like that. Mm -hmm. You had the telco buyer that was buying, um, um, you know, connectivity from the Verizons and AT&Ts and Timos of the world and buying uh, for subscribers and extending the signal into the enterprise. Uh, uh, that was the second buyer. And the third buyer, like you mentioned, is the OT buyer. But in today's world, that's all converging. Why? Because this multiplicity of devices, they're getting connected into intelligent systems which belong to IT. So OT might own the sensors, but they got to roll up into, uh, into an AI-driven system. That's the other big trend that's happening. Almost every um, uh, enterprise in the world today has got to be AI-ready. Why? Because of the efficiencies uh, of scale and operating at a completely different machine-to-machine -machine scale, a lot of processing done. So when you think about this paradigm, then we can no longer treat this as three different worlds, a smartphone access device, uh, IT apps and services, and OT sensors, and uh, even uh, things like logistics uh, um, and uh, manufacturing kind of devices that are all mobile in nature. So we come to a very different world. There's a big gap. Why can we not think of this as a convergence between all these things that are beginning to come together in the enterprise and managed from the cloud. And that's the genesis of a lot of the new changes in architecture and a new vantage point uh, that's the setting for a new architecture, if you will. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I'm glad you brought kind of the AI uh, discussion, you know, into the forefront over here. We've been spending a lot of time on kind of AI networking in particular. And I think right. when the numbers are getting like we're, what that we're seeing right now, the complexity of managing this stuff is well beyond the tools that we have today. Yes. And so there's a lot of focus, especially uh, clearly every major supplier, you know, on the planet, you know, these days are now announcing AI networking kind of capabilities and tools. The uh, actually, I had a really interesting meeting earlier today with uh, Chris Moretti from from Cigna uh, on the whole AI discussion. Um, what they're looking for is um, where networking used to be about connecting things. We're, they're really looking for a, um, networking to be a service for applications, meaning that you have AI in between the two and the AI basically provides a path or a way in which to connect that application to that user, adhere to a policy, understand the security posture, you know, of that path, um, and then provide that service to that particular application, get rid of the toil that's in that's been in the infrastructure for decades as long as you and I have been like in this industry and so, if you I'm, think about what you just said what that means is these devices are smart they uh, data is acquired from these devices so there's got to be data it's got to be everywhere you can't be in the context of just one Wi-Fi AP or one room it's got to be across uh, uh, much larger coverage areas and it's got to be always on it's got to be very low latency because these devices are feeding off each other and working with each other in real time so you cannot go up to the public cloud and back 150 millisecond latency ain't going to cut it when the these things are beginning to interface with each other so you need a control network a data network that's local governed by some local ais and things like that a very different much more dynamic environment operating at scale lots of concurrency low latency high performance resilient uh, etc etc all the kind of attributes that are that a wired network had except that it's got to be untethered if you will yeah it's a fresh it's a fresh look at kind of the problem set that is confronting the marketplace 
So let's talk about Highway 9. All yes. right. So um, I'm going to leave it to you to introduce Highway 9 to, to everyone. Uh, but something I'm really excited about because, right. again, you, you are now in that intersection of cloud you know, um, mobility and AI, which is Correct. three really powerful trends. Yeah. No, I can tell you this, uh, having created network virtualization, security virtualization, which led to software-defined data centers and hybrid clouds and things like that, we took a fresh look at this and we suddenly saw we've done a great job of moving the apps and servers and services to the cloud so that IT doesn't have to worry about that. So you can get best in class, best practices and all available to you. Now you have all these things we talked about, mobile users with mobile phones, smartphones, AI devices, OT devices. We said for a second, let's talk about what, what is needed to be created here. We said, why don't we start afresh, create the notion of a mobile cloud that you can uh, have uh, on board all of these devices. So let's for a moment, uh, take a step back, create this mobile cloud. What does a mobile cloud do? It allows for easy SIM-based authenticated um, uh, entry into this mobile network because almost everything on this cloud is mobile, et cetera, uh, uh, and needs to work and operate almost instantaneously. So job number one is get them to all onboard uh, in a secure, connected way into this uh, mobile cloud that happens to be local. It cannot be mm -hmm. out there in a public cloud because you don't have um, uh, the uh, luxury of going up and down, backhauling through a public cloud or a telco network and back. It's got to be here and local. So if you take those two things and you bring it all together, you then begin to realize what's the best technology to make that happen. It's not Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is limited range, right? Wi-Fi mm -hmm. is per office, per room. It's not usually good for uncarpeted areas, parking garages, going across campus in an untethered fashion. Also, Wi-Fi was like Ethernet. It's a shared medium. It's like multiple yeah. ra people raising the hand. You get uh, access to the medium. But the more people that raise the hand, <laughs> like the folks uh, we are talking to, uh, reaching the heights of scale, if you will, with Wi-Fi, uh, the more 80%, 90% people raising the hand, the, the latency and the character predictably goes uh, um, uh, to hell in a handbasket. Likewise, mm -hmm. mobility is very critical. These robots are moving across cluttered areas, indoor to outdoor, moving stuff at the direction of some control plane. So you need an always-on network. You need to have a, a mobility, et cetera. The only network that can do there is a cellular network. And if you think about it, I always tell people, the cellular technology is incredible. Think about driving at 80 miles per hour on a highway. You seamlessly make a call going from one cell tower to the other, and you just expect that to work. You expect your mm. maps and everything to work. That's incredible technology. Unfortunately, it's always been the purview of the operators. And this problem has to be a blend of what the operators give you because you can only do so much coming outside in. You also right. have to have an inside out that's owned and controlled by IT to service the need of their new AI uh, enterprise, the new mobile users, et cetera. So we said, let's start with a mobile cloud at Highway 9. And that's exactly what we are focused on. Uh, build a private mobile cloud for this uh, AI enterprise that one by one will take care of all the hard problems. And it's a very tough thing to pull together a private cellular network. You need to manage the spectrum. You need to manage yeah. the SIM. You need to manage the radios. You need to manage the packet cores, which are doing the signaling that proactively keeps uh, roaming going. And it's a very complex, but we took all that complexity, uh, built a software-defined uh, network system, a software distributed system, if you will, at the edge. 
and deployed it at the edge. So a lot of complexity, but we've been doing that for the last 20 years. We took 20 years of experience, brought it to bear, built a distributed a software defined a distributed edge where you host the control plane for the cellular world, built on top of a private mobile network built on 5G technology. But the technology, we enterprises don't have the time of day to go and learn and get PhDs in this technology. If you mention yeah. any of the terms, 3GPP terms there, you'll, you'll get people uh, scurrying for shelter. So it is very important to hide it all behind the okay. simplicity and the instantaneous uh, availability of a cloud. And that's exactly what we achieved. Cloud native yeah. realization of a mobile cloud that you can get all these devices that are sitting out there, whether they're directly attached to the cellular network or via a gateway, for example, IoT gateways that can get uh, as, uh, avoiding this uh, IoT sprawl. You can get a, a aggregation, a lot of IoT devices through a cellular network hopping onto the mobile cloud. Likewise, the AI machines, likewise, your clients. So it is yeah. such a simple concept. Once you see it, say, why did we not always do this? It was not possible in the past because a lot of things came together to make this achievable for the first time. Yeah, I love the whole uh, aggregation uh, aspect of of what you're doing. So uh, you could have a thousand, you know, five thousand, ten thousand, you know, devices, you know, um, on a campus environment, and those are all going to be private. But like they can now roam outside of that. That they can go to lunch, and, and then they're right <laughs> yeah. onto a public not public network, and. Um, yeah. Or take their laptop to Starbucks or what have you, and that. So what that basically does is that it allows you to have kind of that same kind of um, service um, on campus, you know, as you do as you're kind of leaving the campus as well. So yes. it just extends that range. And I think, I think you, you know, clearly you're right. There are very specific applications that uh, really require kind of the low latency. That uh, whether that's 5G or other kind of ser um, cellular services, you know, are available. And so you get that now. You can get that both on campus within uh, within a uh, kind of smart manufacturing uh, facility, uh, and then that becomes part of you know your experience. You get to move around you know with that. I think the other thing too about like you know where uh, where you basically you're you're authenticating, you're onboarding, you're authenticating each and every device. One of the big things around kind of the whole OT and IT integration has been around. Uh, identity um, and how do you authenticate identity? Um, so our industry has really been focusing on people um, yes. and not particular devices, you know. And now, um, since you're kind of centralized there and you have control of that, you can now actually authenticate both devices and and also you can authenticate uh, the people. And then you can have uh, policies and rules that are associated uh, with each of those particular identities, which um, will really, I think, go a long way and and uh, facilitating the call, o, the OT and IT integration, you know, uh, on from a security point of view. Yeah, well, Should well said there, Nick. You know, this is I keep telling folks this. What's the fundamental difference in the outlook here? It's a network of people. You know, it's a network of people, and these people are by invite only coming on, getting on board onto this network in an authenticated fashion into an end-to-end -end encrypted fashion tunnel through. So we are, again, you can never, never, never uh, completely get your networks secure. This notion about zero uh, trust and all begs a lot of questions, but at the least you're uh, uh, you know, reducing the attack surfaces by invite only networks that are purpose-built networks with different networks for different um, uh, applications, et cetera. So you can keep the scopes large. And as you can imagine, it's a network of people and you have 
all their identities well represented by the devices they carry. Likewise, you can do things like geofencing. You can only have the context within the range of a device. So someone sitting beyond a geofenced uh, um, area and all that may also be protected. So these are all the kind of things that become very important as you start building ad hoc networks, mobile networks, uh, bringing in new applications on the fly, highly secure applications. All these new use cases start uh, manifesting themselves. Yeah, I think no, I think that's really great, and I'm sure there's going to be, you know, as it, it's always always happens when you're kind of launching a company, you have one or two use cases, and those numbers just grow as you know as yeah. you see how consumers are utilizing you know your solution, and 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 you discover more problems that you can address you know with yeah. it uh, with it as well. So the way I kind of viewed is that you kind of have, you know, uh, the big thing that the cloud providers offered was convenience. Right, you can spin something up, you can spin something down, you can start something really quick, um, and so now you have that. You're you're kind of you're you're offering that convenience. What the cloud providers really didn't offer, though, was control. That was kind of the whole shared responsibility part of that. But in here, this is really a private um, kind of corporation solution. You know, it's on-prem uh, right now, so you have control and you have convenience. You know of this kind of of this kind of connectivity, so you can actually you can configure it for various different underlying use cases. That's what it seems like to me. So you have that aspect of the cloud mobile, right? Yes, uh, and to be very clear, yes, you have your private network where you can very seamlessly attach, much like you always attach to your Verizon or AT and T or Timo network. You have all that capability. But I will add that because it's built on five G technology and because the protocols by definition ensured interworking between all of these 5G systems, there is yeah. automatic interworking with the Verizons of the world, the AT&Ts of the world, and Timos. I, I don't know if you are aware that with the new iOS 17 and the new updates, literally yeah. you're attaching yeah. to a private network has become a first-class citizen. So much like you were attached into your, your plan of record, whether it's Verizon, et cetera, in addition, you'll now have a private uh, plan. So effectively, there's a notion of a private provider that's easily latched onto, and you can get the best of both worlds. You can be on two networks yeah. at the same time for two different purposes. The cellular technology, I must say, this has been well thought through. The operators and all have not built 100 million user networks uh, just that easily. It took a lot of work and painstaking work over the last 30 years, uh, you know, um, et cetera. And it's a huge um, taking all that technology and bringing it down into micro um, sites, if you will, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, so I think what I was kind of getting out there, and, and thank you for the clarification, you know, uh, Alan, is that um, it's not just the convenience of connecting all these devices, especially now, like, you know, with kind of eSIMs that you can actually now plug into kind of a 5G, uh, you know, network. Um, but like you have a, a range of different mobile um, networks you can connect into and also public on the other side. So you're you're kind of virtualizing all of that complexity um, that would normally you would have to kind of deal with, you know, uh, whether you're a user or whether you're kind of an operator or an IT operator. And I would, I would assume that you're kind of presenting uh, to the kind of IT team a whole bunch of like dashboards that they're familiar with, you know, and not a bunch of dashboards that you might see in an OSS you know, our control center, <laughs> you know? Oh, 
Oh yeah, that's a, yeah. that by far is what we see the single biggest difference between a telco dashboard and an entire uh, enterprise dashboard. I think the telcos, by definition, because they are handling the case of uh, hundreds of millions of folks, they have these very complex dashboard. Those cockpits are very uh, sophisticated. In the enterprise, it's all about simplifying, putting as much into cloud, cloud 360 degree views, day zero, day one, day two. All when something fails. It's not uh, for people to go and search through myriads of data. It should all AI ops and all are built into cloud systems today. Likewise, configuring these uh, radios and all that stuff, we use AI techniques to be able to uh, a priori configure all the different um, uh, things that are required to get a radio up and running. So that is as simple as setting up your Wi-Fi network, yet with the sophistication of something that the cellular networks did, yet maintaining that uh, umbilical cord to the operators. That's that's mm. the real um, uh, big deal here, which I believe is necessary to solve all of the above, else you have an incomplete solution. And there's been the mm. increasing rise of noise uh, about the space over the last three, four years. But I think what's been missing is the complete end-to-end -end solution wrapped in a nice cloud offering that's easy to um, uh, leverage and consume in an enterprise. Yeah, well, I think also too, it's that um, I'm not, you know, um, disparaging the service providers, but they are very much consumer oriented, you know, yes. and so um, in the large enterprise marketplace, they they always struggle. They struggle with those particular use cases. So actually, this masks that from them. You know, it's like they can basically say, okay, it's almost like I'm going to do a volume kind of deal here. You're an enterprise, you know, here's a certain amount of bandwidth, a certain number of endpoints. Uh, that can connect into like, you know, our network and you can have, and, and I'm assuming like with, with, uh, with highway nine is that you can have um, kind of relationships with Verizon, with AT&T, T-Mobile, Dish, what have you uh, on the back end. So it's kind of a multi um, kind of mobile service provider, um, you know, um, environment that you can create. So you might have various different service agreements with with each and one of or each one of those, or maybe just one of them, depending upon really what your use case is. It all starts with a win-win proposition. I remember when we were at VMware, we used to control the enterprise, and then you had the public clouds. On day one, everyone thought each public everything will move to the public cloud. In reality, it turns out there's a win-win proposition for the private cloud working with the public clouds and in not only just one yeah. public cloud, people wanted all three clouds. I see the same thing happening here. The benefit for the operators to work with us is because we make it easy for them to penetrate into an yeah. enterprise. And the benefit to IT is they get this capability under their control, but it's a duality, right? IT, uh, the, the MNOs, think they have control because from their lens, they get the control and visibility and penetration into the enterprise. Likewise, from IT's perspective, these radios are shared, the infrastructure is shared, but you get the benefits of the spectrum and all of that goodness. So all these things coming together, I, ultimately the hybrid cloud is the way to go. The hybrid mobile cloud where the operator, the IT and the users all participate on this network, if you will. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, like, you know, not too far down the road is that uh, they're selling Highway 9 into the large enterprise. <laughs> you know, this is like, you know, they, you know, uh, you you have them as a distribution channel because like it offers a nice, I think, packaging um, for the service providers to actually deliver 
you know, yeah. 5G um, and other services into the marketplace. And um, Correct, because this yeah. notion of network slicing, uh, operators yeah. can do a good job coming to the edge, but once you're inside the enterprise, enterprise it's much harder to uh, extend the concept of a slice into the innards of an IT organization with a technology like ours, where we can map the slice into multiple mobile zones for different applications, different users, different use cases. Mm. That's the holy grail, if you will. And I think That's cool. operators yeah. will begin to realize the power of uh, uh, the inside out combining with the outside in approach. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So it's kind of slice management and um, and kind of configuration and orchestration, you know, uh, within kind of the controller, and then also just all the the orchestration around onboarding configuration. It's the mitigation of all the complexity of all the various different um, mobile providers. Um, provides a packaging uh, to the consumer, um, the um, the enterprise consumer. On how to manage uh, on how to manage this, and it delivers us a better, you know, hopefully a better quality of service where they they have mobility, they have low latency, they have better security. Um, doesn't mean that Wi-Fi will go away. You know, Wi-Fi will clearly still be there, and it has you know a really good um, you know um, kind of you know in that kind of broadcast domain, you know that that it operates uh, within. But I think you know this you're offering something here around um, you know that can scale you know, uh, much more and scale at performance that we really haven't had um, that much in the uh, kind of in the mobile world in the in the kind of in the I don't want to poo poo the Wi-Fi folks, you know, but it's like kind of in uh, in Wi-Fi. No, that's very much so. And again, we we started the reason all our prior endeavors succeeded because we went very deep with our first few customers to ensure that the things operated scale. It's only then that you disagree. Likewise, we are now coming out of stealth. We've got three or four really good customers, uh, a very well-known manufacturing car manufacturer, uh, one of the top higher ed institutions, MIT, one of the big uh, real estate, the commercial real estate, 1.5 million square foot uh, buildings. So we know now this operates and operates at scale. So it's ready for prime time. And it's important that you don't go out uh, with your company too soon because you'll get a lot of uh, POCs that go nowhere fast. It's important, It's but it's very critical uh, that you, the offering be complete, the offering scales, the offering is seamless, and the operate, uh, uh, and, and it can be run by mere models, right? Not uh, mm. PhDs yeah. or things like that, so. Yeah, no, that's, that's great, Alan. You have all the major components of it. You have kind of the convenience and the control of kind of a cloud environment for delivery. Um, you have um, within um, actually your own stack, you have kind of uh, AI algorithms to make that uh, make that process uh, simpler and, and easier. Um, also now as, as AI makes its way within overall, all, overall kind of networking infrastructure and works on behalf of applications, um, you hopefully can provide tools you know to those AI algorithms that can uh, assure that they're everyone is going to get a great quality service and now you're giving, a range of different options, connectivity options that those algorithms might be able to utilize um, to deliver, you know, on the policies that are set forth, you know, by those corporations. Um, and then I'm sure there can be uh, also like uh, cost arbitrage, you know, it's like, you know, um, you maybe, you know, there might be a really good deal that you can get with one carrier versus another one. And that might shift over time and you might be able to arbitrage that, you know, as well. So I think there's control is a beautiful thing. You know, it's like, 
Um, yeah. Having control of your world is a very yeah. beautiful thing. And I think you're kind of giving folks control of uh, over their, their mobile world. Yeah, we, we think so. We think so. Yeah, we're pretty excited. Uh, we're pretty excited about this journey because this, uh, unlike some of the earlier endeavors, this affects almost everyone. And the timing is uh, here, right? Uh, everyone's going AI. AI is changing the way we think and behave in the enterprise. Uh, likewise, the clients and all the things we said up to now. So we're very excited about the opportunity to um, uh, be involved with yet another important architecture uh, you know the mobile cloud architecture we think should prevail it is the natural architecture to onboard all of your mobile um, you know um, uh, estate if you will and have a unified architecture so the fine in the final analysis there will be the public cloud there'll be the mobile cloud that's local and then there'll be the telcos and all of those as big spots if you will uh, uh, out there apart from apart from your um, commercial or mobile um, you know residential if you will but we yeah, think the- uh, we think campuses and enterprises will be going mobile as they go ai yeah i'm i'm so with you on that and um you know um no, this is um this all hangs together like really really well. I think there's one market segment that we haven't talked about, you know, but it's um uh, the whole cloud edge, you know, like this becomes like you know the kind of connectivity engine or could be the connectivity engine for cloud edge, you know, as well. So um, we can kind of have that topic for <laughs> maybe for another time, unless you want to say something. <laughs> uh, very <laughs> very wanna... quickly, uh, very quickly. I, I I remember my conversations with Pat Gelsinger, our CEO at VMware. As much as the public cloud is important. The edge cloud is a very, very hard, intractable problem because the public clouds are homogenized, highly, yeah. highly um, uh, densified, uh, homogenized offering. The edge is that uh, it's a museum of uh, artifacts of all different architectures, but it's a necessity because AI operates at the edge in real time and everything has to happen at the edge. Unfortunately, at the edge, there are myriads of architectures. It's not owned by a single entity. And that's why um, uh, if you think about, uh, there is no separation between an on-prem mobile cloud versus an edge mobile cloud. These are two ways of saying the same thing. I know we spent Mm. a lot of time in our previous lives on talking about life as it moves to the edge and all that stuff. You know, again, the edge is different on different people's perspective, but ultimately I look at the edge as a separation of domains, one domain owned by one provider, another domain owned by another provider. There are multiple ways to skin that cat, but that's a topic (laughs) that deserves its own attention. We could spend a couple of hours Mm. just on the edge. As well, you know. that's for sure. So I, you know, uh, so I have a couple of like, you know, um, do you have a few more minutes? You know, where the name come from? <laughs> Highway nine. Highway nine. <laughs> so the founders, we all live here in Highway nine. I don't know if people are familiar. Um, usually Atherton Woodside are the enclaves of the VCs while places like Saratoga, Los Gatos, and all uh, the place for where entrepreneurs uh, live. You, a lot of the CEOs and entrepreneurs and startups here in Silicon Valley live mm-hmm. in this neck of the woods, Saratoga, Montessorino, Los Gatos, and Highway 9 yeah. is the network that runs and connects all. So the founding team, we are all here, and we didn't want to make the n- mistake of naming a company for a technology, because you and I know 
technologies change. <laughs> One day's winners and the next day's, uh, uh, you know, have-beens and things like that. So we wanted a name that last, and we're proud of Highway 9, and we're proud of all the architecture and all that have come out from companies that have built, um, uh, you know, companies like Arista, companies like Juniper, companies like uh, Cisco, companies like uh, all of the Mario, Luca, mm-hmm. Prem enterprises. So many of mm-hmm. them have come and uh, been housed here out of uh, the Highway 9 <laughs> pathway, if you will. So for us, oh, it's, that's a special really cool. place. it's a special place, not just a destination, but the journey is as important. Yeah, I just remember Highway 9 is on the way to Santa Cruz. Yes. Yes, it's got all the wineries. It's got, uh, it's a good life. It's a good life. It's it's a beautiful, uh, absolutely fabulous area. Kind of Los, Los Gatos over uh, to uh, uh, Santa Cruz. It's a great, uh, great stretch of um, of right. California. That's for sure. Um, are you, um, are you comfortable talking about uh, investors, who the investors are? Yes, yeah. So we've had um, uh, we've taken down um, uh, close to twenty five million dollars overall. Our main mm-hmm. um, key investor at this stage is Mayfield. I know if you're familiar, Mayfield uh, yeah. is one of the premier um, uh, VCs in uh, Silicon Valley, and with deep knowledge of networking. So um, Naveen yeah. Chadda, the managing director, Urshit, mm-hmm. the um, a key person there uh, representing Mayfield and involved with us. These are folks we've known for a while, deeply involved. So for me, it was very important to get tied in. And uh, Mayfield is very much involved with the whole, they've got a funds based completely on AI. They've spent a yeah. lot of time in networking um, and they've spent time with cloud. So Mayfield is our primary Series A. We just closed the Series A round recently. We have other investors like Detroit to venture capital and all because the commercial real estate owned in Detroit and all. There's a massive yeah. uh, um, uh, resurgence going on there. So we took down folks like them. Um, General Catalyst was involved um, mm-hmm. uh, with us and things like that. So. So we've got a, what we believe is a solid base. I'm, as you know, I'm pretty old-fashioned, running the company the old-fashioned way, not getting ahead of our um, uh, ski tips and just building this one enterprise at a time. And then ultimately, we think this architecture will prevail. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, um, great, uh, great group of um, investors, and they're not just. Um, you know, putting money in, like, you know, um, they'll have resources and to help and guide, you know, as well. Uh, not that you're going to need much. You've been around the block, you know, um, you know, for, uh, for a bit. So um, a little bit on that, you know, um, the IPO marketplace has been pretty, has been closed for an awfully long time. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's the longest time I remember, like, well, after like 2001, it was closed down for, yeah, it might've been like seven years. So maybe, uh, maybe, you know, uh, maybe that time, that period was longer than the one that we're in right now. Um, you seeing any signs of the IPO market um, opening up? Um, I Not that you're ready for an IPO. <laughs> yet, but... Not that, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm careful. <laughs> yeah. I don't let get ahead of myself. I think for, uh, what happened is over the last three, four, five years, um, um, it, there was a compression. People's futures, you know, people start baking in the next five years, 10 years worth of growth into smaller and smaller rounds. And when the yeah. market, uh, uh, when the bu- uh, when the bubble bursts, as it did about two three years ago, it kind of uh, there's a lot of reaction to that, and people have to decompress. And in decompressing, people uh, the rounds, you know, Silicon Valley works best 
when it's a nice and steady each round better than the prior round yeah. when you have down rounds that's a lot of indigestion that goes on and yeah. uh, the combination of the public markets the political landscape and there's a lot of um, uh, macro trends and all that stuff so i i i expect that there's always in these such markets flight to quality i think there are some major major massive trends alive i think ai is going to unleash a whole bunch of new there's going to be a lot of ai washing and things like that in the short term but in the yeah. end there will be true ai companies that emerge whose names we do not know yet and i think as that happens and ai uh, based efficiencies and productivity there'll be ipos coming along but i think um, the rush to um, ipos being the end in itself what we come to realize is ipos is just a marker on the path of great companies that scale. If you look at it as a destination, then um, yeah. uh, it, it is never works out uh, properly for you. More importantly is it's a milestone that helps you raise more capital to uh, scale the company more than ever before. And those are the kind of things. I expect my, if I had to yeah. predict, I'd say it'll take maybe two, three years before the markets open up again in a bigger way. Um. So we're still in that kind of contraction and um, kind of the weeding out uh, kind of process, you know. Yes. So it's like, yeah, uh, down rounds are um, demoralizing, you know, for uh, for yeah. everyone that's involved in that. It's like uh, it's very yeah. difficult for like uh, employees who have put so much time and energy and effort, you know, into something, and all of a sudden see like you know their valuations get you know uh, shrink, you know. And that's um, yeah, that's never a good, a good thing. But, but that's capitalism, right? Um, that's kind of the you know. Um, survivors, you know, um, you got to like, when you're working it, you got to work it hard, <laughs> you know, yes. and you got to just make yeah. it, uh, make and make it all work. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope you're wrong. Um, you know, uh, you would think like there's so much money on the sidelines. Um, and we see kind of what's happening with, uh, with the stock market. You would think that there's a appetite for a new set of companies, you know, to come in. So, but, um, but we'll see. You know. I think the companies are going to emerge. It's just a question of when the exits uh, occur. I think a lot yeah. of great companies are being built as we speak right now. True, because these oh, are in sure. fact, the best times for companies to get, uh, uh, you know, become seed companies, if you will. That's yeah, very yeah, clear. no, no doubt. I'm so with you on that. It's like there, there are so many great companies. Like that process, it's almost like you know, um, you think about kind of Napa. You know, it's like when you really have like a tough year for grapes. You, usually have a really great wine, <laughs> you know, right. we're kind of in that, you know, there's a lot of really, if the companies that have survived during these last couple of years, they've, they really kind of focus on the knitting. Um, they focus on right. their customers, you know, um, they're, right. they're stronger right. companies, you know, for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Um, I actually will have one little side question for you. What do you do when you're not working? <laughs> it's uh, like, I love like all of us, like we spend so much time with work, you know, but like family, personal time, like what do you do? Yes, I, I love traveling. We travel all over the world. Um, uh, anytime we can get a chance, we travel. We love soccer teams. My favorite two soccer teams, I mean, my favorite sports teams are the Barcelona club where Messi was there. So we love going for soccer games. We love the 49ers here and things like that so we love uh, yeah. sports uh, and all and and I, I truly enjoy entrepreneurship so i love working with people coming up with ideas and all, even my in my side time and all that stuff again involved my kids daughters uh, and a lot of different things there but uh, importantly uh, like you say 
uh, it's about a nice balanced life and this is a means to an end and and really the entrepreneurship part of it is really what keeps me going because in a way you're contributing to a much better connected world and everything that we've been doing over the last 30 years has been all about getting more and more folks to communicate with each other easily uh, quickly mm. you know bringing families together bringing friends together uh, you know closing all these things are highly and I, I i see it as a continuum and especially in today's world there's a continuum between work and play and mm. um, you know home and all that kind of good stuff so so we love traveling is the best way to get all of those different experiences distilled i think uh, you you do a bit of traveling too right yeah you know um you know we're now starting to kind of explore um going down to florida for like winters like i've never been a fan of florida like it's like um just it wasn't my cup of tea uh, but then my wife started bringing me down um to the west coast and um actually started having a good time and so like now we're going down for longer stretches you know but when our kids were really young like you know we um we made uh, a point to like um especially bring them into europe you know um for the summer so they toured all over europe um we didn't really get to asia um but now they've you know they've kind of taken their journeys or their travel um over there but i think travel is very important to expose not only yourself but your family um and your kids you know to these different cultures uh and see how other people live and um it's you know it's um it's a wonderful enrichment you know yes. uh, to your life um to be able to to go and 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 see how other people live um check their cuisines out which is like always like just so great their art you know and um but italy has got to be one of my favorite places you know to go you know especially florence i think florence could be like uh, one of my favorite cities um right uh it's right. just the food is there the art is just you know amazing the the amount of the only problem is i we would usually go in the summer <laughs> that's the worst <laughs> time to go <laughs> yeah, we were we were in italy earlier part of this year we're going there next year yeah italy is obviously really really cool so from so many different fronts so so yeah just just so great so yeah well, uh, Alan, I wish you all the the uh, the luck, you know, although you don't need it because I know you work really hard, you know, um, you and the team over at Highway 9 Networks, um, you know, great concept, you know, you're hitting all the major trends that are in the marketplace, which are really pain points. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's always a good thing. So, um, so I wish uh, you and the team, you know, the best of luck in executing. And um, we'll see you, um, we'll see you at the AI Networking Summit uh, over at Onug in May. Yeah, before yeah, before I sign off, I really want to give a shout out to the team. We've been doing this together for many, many years together, and everyone. And it's like uh, good teams, you know, in turn attract other good folks, and so it's a real movement that's beginning. I know you're going to be a big part of it, uh, and we welcome all of you and your, um, you know, network to participate in this thing. I think it's going to be. It's going to be a great experience, and that's all of us involved with uh, a transformation and all. There's something that's uh, really um, something that's genuinely authentic about that experience. So we'd love to have every one of you participate in that and uh, help make this, uh, you know, a thing for us to all remember for a long time. Awesome, that's great. Well, well, everybody, you can you can see Highway Nine and uh, and Alwyn um, at uh, Onug in May in Dallas. You know, um, so. Uh, so come on down, you know, we'll see you there. Yeah. Awesome. Alan, uh, thanks so much. I had a lot of fun. It was great. Yeah, thank you, thank you everyone. Yep. Bye-bye. Okay.